congregation of our Lord and Saviour. My dear wife, Jenny, recently went on a website called myheritage.com. And you can purchase on that website a DNA test kit, which she has done. And you take a small swab from the inside of your cheek and you send it away to a laboratory and they come back and tell you about your background based on your DNA. And it was very interesting to find out that my wife is 22.9% Scottish, Irish or Welsh. I didn't know that. She's also 53% Greek. Might account for those salads she likes. And 28%, sorry, not 28, 2.8% Japanese. Very interesting. You know, if we were to trace our ancestry back, each one of us would indeed be something of a mixed bag. We might get some surprises if we did that and just to find out our background and the different families and nations of this world. If it were possible, which I don't believe it is, to perform some kind of spiritual DNA test, the results would show so very clearly that there are really only two families in the world. You're either a child of the devil or a child of God. That's what the Bible says. And these two completely different families are the subject of our two sermon points this morning. Firstly, the children of the devil. We know that the devil, that is Satan, is the chief of the fallen angels. He disguised himself as a serpent and deceived Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He's described in Scripture as the ruler of this world, the prince of the power of the air. He's hostile to God, and he is a malignant reality in this fallen world. So please don't be misled by these uh, cartoon caricatures, pictures of the devil with a red face, horns, and a three-pong trident staff. He is neither fictitious nor is he benign. He poses an ever-present danger. He prowls around like a roaring lion. You know the scripture, seeking whom he may devour. The Bible clearly reveals the existence of the devil and also teaches us that he is active, but that his power is limited. John identifies the pattern of living of Satan when he writes in verse 8b, the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Now, the devil doesn't literally bear children, but those who who have a family resemblance to the devil in being hostile to God are children of the devil. That's what Jesus taught when he was speaking to the Jews who were trying to kill him. He said to them in John chapter 8, verse 44, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. In our text, John is teaching us the pattern of a child of the devil, someone who makes a practice of sinning. So does that mean then that if any one of us commits a sin, we are therefore automatically a child of the devil? No, no. That can't be true because John's already written that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The Lord actually requires of us and asks of us that we acknowledge that we are sinful, that we may come to him for grace. 
The children of the devil are those whose lifestyle is characterized by habitual sin. They're not troubled by their hostility to God. Their regular rebellion is their way of life. They make a practice of sinning, which uh, John equates with lawlessness, writing, sin is lawlessness. That's the ongoing pattern of their lives. Sin, we know, is either failing to do what God's law requires or else doing something which is forbidden. To commit sin is to place oneself on the side of the devil and of the Antichrist or Christ's. To sin is to stand in opposition to Christ Jesus. And in their sin, the children of the devil do not practice righteousness. They do not practice correct moral behavior acceptable to God. True righteousness is is living like Jesus did when he was on this earth, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the righteous one. He is the exemplar. He is the one who is perfectly moral, pure, righteous, and holy in his behavior. The children of the devil are not born of God. They have not been supernaturally changed by the Holy Spirit to become spiritually alive. The children of the devil haven't seen Christ. They don't know Jesus. They have no relationship with the Son of God. The children of the devil don't abide in Christ because they have no union with him. They cannot remain in him because they do not know him. The children of the devil are spiritually dead. They are separated from God. Perhaps you're someone this morning who watches pornography on the internet. Maybe you're someone who reads sexually charged novels or views R18 movies. Does that mean you're a child of the devil? Perhaps you're addicted to sexual immorality. Is there any hope for you? Perhaps you're frequently angry. Corrupting talk, foolishness, filthiness, crude joking comes out of your mouth. Perhaps you're someone who doesn't always speak with grace that seeks to build others up. Does that mean that you're a child of the devil? Perhaps your lifestyle is one which is characterized by a Self-centeredness, selfishness, an ambition, pride. Does that mean you're a child of the devil? Perhaps you're sexually attracted to people of the same gender as yourself, and perhaps that attraction has led to physical activity. Does that mean that you're a child of the devil? Perhaps you don't consistently show hospitality. That is love for strangers, to those who do not know who may come into this church. Does that mean you're a child of the devil? Perhaps you're not making disciples as you go about in the course of your life, but you're rather content to let other people try and fill that command. Does that mean you're a child of the devil? See, I purposely phrase these questions to us this morning to confront you and myself. Because you know it's so easy, isn't it? Don't you find to focus on those commands in the scriptures that we feel confident that we're fulfilling, but to ignore the other ones. Someone makes a practice of sinning, that is habitually breaking God's law by either doing what God commands not to do or by not doing what he requires us to do, then the Bible says that such a person is of the devil, verse 8. The language of Scripture is strong because the issue congregation 
is serious. So what should you do if you're someone this morning who's practicing sexual immorality, who's talking foolishly, who's making crude jokes, who's being proud in yourself, who's not loving strangers, not seeking to make disciples? First and foremost, repent. If you've been convicted by these words this morning, don't dodge the bullet, but let it sink in. Repent. Admit your sin to yourself and to God. And secondly, turn away from that pattern of life. Seek the Lord's help to be killing sin within your life. Talk to a trusted minister, an elder, a mature believer, and seek accountability for your life to help you regularly expose sin through confession. So if you are someone this morning who is struggling with your sin, you see in the light of God's word your rebellion, you hate your hostility to God, and you want to show your love to Christ by obeying his commandments, then let me assure you, you are not a child of the devil. Pastor John Piper has spoken of a man who phoned him up once and said, Pastor, I'm struggling with my homosexuality. You know what John Piper said? He said, good. Good that you're struggling. Good that you recognize what you're dealing with. See, the children of the devil don't struggle with their sin. They make a practice of it. It doesn't trouble them enough to confess it to God and to others. It doesn't trouble them enough to repent, to turn to God and his people for help. And these children of the devil will shrink from Christ Jesus in shame at his second coming. When Christ returns as the majestic monarch who brings judgment upon all people, the children of the devil will be pronounced guilty as charged. And they will be forever separated from God. But that is not the fate of the children of God. And that's our second point this morning. Children of God. So John encourages those to whom he's writing, affectionately addressing them as little children. He says, Beloved, we are God's children, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. You see, God's children are those who bear that family resemblance of God's character, seen as we've said most fully and clearly in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. Now, we know as God's adopted children that we are not yet perfect. We know that from Scripture, and I trust from observation of the way that we live our lives. We still sin. We still disobey God's law. We don't live completely righteous lives. That is the truth. We know that it's only when Christ returns, when God's people will be fully glorified, that we shall be like Jesus in perfect righteousness. But now it is the pattern of our lives, the habitual, ordinary lifestyle pattern which demonstrates and evidences both to us and to others that we are children of God. John puts it this way in verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Here is another test by which we may know that we are indeed children of God. The Bible does not teach that people who live good, moral, upright lives will gain entrance into God's heaven and live forever. We cannot be saved on the basis of our works, 
Because as the scripture correctly teaches us, not one of us is righteous. No, not one. Romans 3.10. Nobody makes the righteousness grade of God. Nobody reaches that mark. Nobody attains to God's standard. Only Christ has done that. To be assured that you are a child of God, there are three tests in this letter that we've been studying through these weeks. And we see elements of all three in our text today. Verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the only righteous one, the only one who has perfectly obeyed the law, and you look to him as being the one who stands in your place both in his life and his death, in his death, in dying for you and in his life, in living the righteous life that you and I are not. Then you believe, and that's one of the tests. John puts it this way in his gospel. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. The second test is referenced right at the end of our passage this morning. Those who do not love fellow believers are not of God. We'll see that in more detail next week as we look at that second test. And the third one is that the children of God do not make a practice of sinning. The children of God cannot keep on sinning because they've been born of God. God's seed abides in them. Metaphorically referring to this uh, divine principle of life that abides in the life of the believer. The children of God are those who practice righteousness like Christ. The children of God are those who will be confident on that day of Christ's return because they're covered in the righteousness of Jesus. Children of God have received the gift of the Father's love. They're not known by the unbelieving world just as Christ is not known by unbelievers. Not known by unbelievers. See, the world doesn't understand the gospel which is so dear to the children of God because to them it's just foolishness. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. The world doesn't understand that the children of God hold to a morality, a righteousness which is God's standard. And that's why we oppose sexual activity outside marriage, because that's God's standard. That's why we're against same-sex unions, because that opposes God's standard. That's why we counsel against believers marrying non-believers, because that's God's standard. That's why we speak out against abortion and euthanasia because God says that's murder. That's why we don't passively accept the sin in other people's lives but rather seek to proclaim Christ and speak the truth in love. That's why we don't engage in some kind of jihadist physical warfare but we know that the real fight is a spiritual battle against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The children of God know that the express purpose that Jesus Christ came to this earth was to destroy the works of the devil, verse 8. The children of, of God know that Christ is coming again in judgment. They know that all things will be made new and this earth will be transformed into a paradise where God will dwell with his people. The children of God proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's exactly and precisely what we'll be doing in a moment as we celebrate Lord's Supper. So beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, as we draw to a close this morning, if you are today conscious of your sin, you've 
You hate it. You hate it. You strive to break those habitual patterns of unrighteousness in your life. And let's be, let's be honest about it. We've all got those that need to be broken and striven against by the power of God. If you're someone this morning who seeks to put to death any sexual immorality, any unrighteous anger, any pride or self-centeredness, any foolish or crude talk, any speech that's not full of grace and truth, any lack of hospitality or discipleship making. If you hate your sin this morning, then do not lose heart. This text before us is a promise from God that when Christ returns, you will be a person who only practices righteousness. Don't you look forward to that day when sin will be finally extinguished from your life? text warns us this morning about the seriousness of sin. John writes in his gospel, Whoever does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. There's no middle ground. There's no shade of gray. Not even 50, not even one. It's black and white. It's light and darkness. It's God or the devil. It's righteousness or sin. So brothers and sisters in the Lord, abide in Christ. Remain in Christ. Check this morning, along with myself, check your own life and heart to see if you are someone who is practicing righteousness and not habitually sinning. And if you're someone this morning who having heard these words and checked your own heart realizes that you are in need of that lavish grace that we've sung about and come to Christ. Be assured that he will receive and does receive repentant sinners and giving them not what they deserve, but in grace, his love and strength and blessing. Congregation, may our faith be strengthened and nourished this morning as we partake in and witness the the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And brothers and sisters, see this morning what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. Amen.